This week, I want to continue looking at Moses for the, as the role model for the last day church and really our role model. We want to walk in the same pattern. Um, and we left off in Exodus with him fleeing from Egypt and he goes unto Midian. He kind of goes off into the, into the desert out of the reach of Pharaoh into a place called Midian. And, you know, we kind of talked last week how we, uh, in Exodus, it's recorded that he fled in fear. But in Hebrews, it's recorded he fled in faith. And, you know, the, as in the goodness and graciousness of God, he records it as fleeing by faith because Moses allowed a work of faith to be taken place in his life. Um, and because he overcame, God said, okay, it was by faith. You know, because he let God work. And then God could describe it as he sees it, and we're very thankful for that. Hopefully in heaven things will be described differently as we overcome, right? And as we respond in faith, even if we fail one time, the righteous get up and get at it by faith. That's not quoting a scripture. That's just summarizing it. But, you know, at the same time, I think we can understand the difficulty Moses was experiencing and how he probably felt, you know, trying to fulfill his calling. He knew he was called to be a deliverer. That was really clear in his spirit. I don't know how that was, if it was through his mom, through his parents, through the Lord revealing it, but he had understood the call of God upon his life. He was called to deliver uh, Israel. And except he tried to fulfill that calling, he tried to help it along by himself. And so, you know, he tried to fight against the enemy and the oppressor of Israel. But, and you know, there's a lesson in this too for us. We don't go around, want to go around picking fights with spiritual powers and principalities or the enemies that we face whether natural or spiritual, but we don't want to do it just on a calling. Well, I'm called to, to be used by God, so I'm just going to go out and do it. Well, be careful with that one, Moses. Moses didn't have a good experience in that, you know. I mean, but that's the thing. He had a clear-cut call. He was right on with his call. But then he went out and picked a fight in presumption, and he lost that. And so we only want to uh, fight our battles as we're led by the Lord. Right? And, and hopefully these days it's not in the natural, but it's against spiritual principalities and powers as, as you know, it talks about. But we don't want to do it on our own initiative. We want to do it after much prayer and deliberation. And you know, we need to go, up them, go against them like David said. He said, Lord, shall I go up and will I overcome? You know, he said that in, in 2 Samuel 5. Lord, should I go up? And not just that. He said, Lord, am I going to win? I don't want to go up if I'm not going to win. And the Lord says, yes, go, you'll win. Or he did that to David anyway. Moses does that later on. But, and so here we are with Moses. He left Egypt with this, this failure, so to speak. Um, and... No, but he was trying to do what was right. He saw an injustice taking place. I mean, it was an injustice. This, you know, Egyptian wasn't abusing uh, an Israelite. 
And he was trying to, in a sense, it was an act of, of righteousness, but it just wasn't done in the right way. And, you know, sometimes you can experience a failure in your life. And, you know, it's not because everything was wrong in your life, you know, that caused a failure. But sometimes it's because something is out of alignment with God and his plan and his purposes. And so we're not successful in that because there's something that's out of alignment. In Moses' case, it was timing. He was 40 years too early to try and intervene in Israel's situation. He was very correct in what he was supposed to do, right, as a deliverer. And he thought that was the right thing to do, but what caused him to fail was he was out of the God's timing. And he wasn't ready. And so off Moses goes into the wilderness and he goes into the desert of Midian. Midian's kind of uh, it's it's to the east, but to the northeast, a little. It's kind of below Israel, into the desert areas. Um, but something we see is that Moses didn't give up on God's ways. He didn't just say, "Well, I failed. I'm just going to do something else." He still held on to the ways of God on righteousness because he came to Midian, and we can read the story in Exodus how he came to a well, and. There, he saw the daughters of the priest of Midian there, and they were trying to water their flocks, but it seems like there was some contention with the other uh, shepherds there that they didn't let the daughters of Midian uh, water their flocks, and, and they were preventing them from doing that. Who knows why? It was probably something cultural or something to do there. But, but Moses got there and said, you know, this isn't right. Why would you prevent them from watering their flocks? And so, you know, he understood it wasn't right, and he intervened, and he helped the daughters. Um, And so that they went back to their father, and they said this in Exodus 2 and verse 18. It says, when they came to Reuel, their father, he said, how is it that you have come so soon today? I guess this was a regular occurrence, right, that it would take them a long time because the rest of the shepherds would prevent them from watering the flocks so that they'd come home late. And, and they said, an Egyptian delivered us. That must have been a shock, right? Egyptians don't come their way, and much less, neither do they help them. And, but it says, he delivered us out of the hands of the shepherd, and he drew water enough for us and watered the flock. Now, the, this, these are the daughters of the man we know as Jethro, um, we're going to consider his name here in a minute, Reuel. But, but, you know, Moses performed an act of righteousness in this situation. And what's interesting is this act of righteousness made the way for him to have a place of, of safety and provision for the next 40 years. And so it wasn't the fact of Moses doing acts of righteousness that was the problem. In fact, I mean, that, that kind of preserved him his love for righteousness because he did it. He did an act of righteousness there. I mean, he could have very well come and said, well, I, you know, I tried to do what's right. So I'm not even going to intervene. I'm not going to get involved with these Midianites, but he didn't do that. You know, he's like, well, I'm just going to try and do what's right in God's sight. And that 
allowed him, you know, seeing an injustice, standing for what was right. It opened the door for the next 40 years of him being used by God and being trained and so forth. And, and so God honored that, that act of righteousness. And, you know, in a sense, you kind of see that as a foundation for him being the lawgiver, right? Because he honored the ways of God. And, you know, that's actually what the law represents. Because sometimes we think, well, the law is the Ten Commandments. It's all the do's and don'ts, right, that we have to get, get right. And should we do this and that on the day and honoring the Sabbath and all that stuff? Um, that, that's how it comes out to us that we can understand it from the Old Testament. But really, the law represents God's way and doing things God's way. Now, looking at the Old Testament, it's like, well, God, why did you do it this way? Because he wanted to. And because it speaks to us. There's a message in the law and in the rituals and everything that, that Israel had to do. There's a message for us as believers, you know, that we can understand and we can study the feasts and offerings and, and so forth. But really, when it comes down to it, especially as New Testament believers, loving the law really means loving God's ways and wanting to please him. You know, something we can see about the importance that God places upon his law is seen elsewhere in, uh, in Isaiah. And this is in Isaiah 2 and verse 3. You know, it's where, and this is talking about the millennium, but there, there's a, a message for us as believers in the age of the church. Isaiah 2 and verse 3 says, Many people shall go and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, and to the house of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us of his ways, and we will walk in his paths. And this is, this is what I want us to take note of. For out of Zion shall go forth the law, and the word of the Lord shall go forth from Jerusalem. Now, what's interesting that is there's, there's a context of a hierarchy, because Jerusalem was the holy city, and that was within Israel, which was in God's nation. So there's Israel, there's Jerusalem, and then there's Zion, which is the place God loves. And you would think, what comes out of Zion? It should be the word of the Lord. But no, he says, it's the law of the Lord. The law of the Lord is from Zion. Now, there's, there's more we could get into with that, but, but it's the law that comes forth from Zion because Zion is the place he delights in, right? And it's that thought of the law and loving his law that is important and what matters. You know, there's a danger in just seeking words from the Lord and just, you know, seeking, we can delight in hearing from God of getting words of wisdom, words of direction. But here's the danger. What, what happens when that word doesn't sit well with us and it's like, well, I don't know if that's the Lord. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go get confirmation somewhere else. I'm gonna, I, need to, I need to put that on the shelf and I need to go and seek another confirmation. You know, getting, getting a word from the Lord and hearing, hearing wonderful words and prophecies and so forth is, is wonderful until there's something in our heart that challenges that and we don't continue to walk in it. And of course, the danger is we, we, tempt, we, we keep 
we're tempted to keep pursuing words until we hear something that does agree with us and you know, we like what it says. Um, and the scary thing is, is that God might eventually allow a word to come that, that encourages us to walk in our own way. Well, what's the solution to that? It's the law. It's to have the law written, not upon stone, the stone of do's and don'ts, that's the difference with the Old Testament, but upon the fleshly tables of our hearts, as Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians. Right? And so we don't want the word without the law. Because when the law is in our hearts, really what that means, it, you know, yes, there's a fulfilling of the Ten Commandments, but really what it means is we love his ways. We delight to do the will of the Lord. And, and, and that, that's where we can cry out along with David and agree with him, right? As he spoke this in Psalm 40 in verse 8, he said, I delight to do your will, O God. Yea, thy law is within my heart. And it always reminds me of that story that Sister Bailey shared, how one day, you know, she was, she was just praying and, and the Lord spoke to her kind of out of the blue and said, you know, there's something greater than doing my will. And she thought, from, it's like, what can be greater than doing the will of the Lord? And the Lord said, delighting to do my will. You know, that makes sense. Because how, how many times have you told someone to do something and they did it, but there was some grumbling there. <laughs> I'm sure my parents can remember many times when they asked me to do something and there was some grumbling there. <laughs> you know, not a, not a delight to do it. But what is true love is delighting to do the will of our Heavenly Father because we know we're pleasing His heart. That is the law coming out of Zion, the law being in our hearts. I delight to do thy will. And so we see how Moses, he, he still has a love for the law, a love for God's ways and doing what pleases God. And so, you know, at this point, Moses has fled. He doesn't really have anyone. He's kind of alone. Um, and he's in this new season of preparation because now he's shifted, right? There was 40 years in Egypt. Now there's 40 years in the wilderness. I don't know if God told him there was going to be 40 years. He might have been doubly discouraged if he had known how long the season was going to be. But, you know, He's in this new season, but, you know, when Jethro heard what Moses did, you know, he told his daughters, it's like, why didn't you bring him back with you? Go get him. You know, I want to meet this Egyptian who delivered you. Um, and so, you know, Moses was given a place among them, a place of safety, but also a place of preparation because he was then made a shepherd. You know, and what's interesting is, is we can kind of learn of what God was doing and the things God was bringing into Moses' life to work in him and prepare him. Um, you know, and I mentioned the first time that Jethro is introduced to us, it's with a different name. A lot of, sometimes you read that and it's like, who's Reuel? But that's the first name that was used to refer to, refer to this man. Reuel means friend of God. So who does Moses meet and who does God join him with? 
a friend of God. Now, he was a priest of Midian, and so it's understood he was a worshiper of the Lord there in Midian as a priest and a friend of God. You know, and so here's someone who would care for Moses, who would, who would, uh, God was using him to, to raise Moses up and train him to be a deliverer. And then also there was uh, Zipporah, right? Uh, he was given to Moses as a wife. Zipporah, her name means little bird. And it's interesting when you, when you think about what's a bird? What is different about a bird? Well, a bird soars over situations. And a bird has a much different perspective than the one who's down in the trenches. Moses is in the trenches, but then he's joined to Zipporah, who's called Little Bird. And so, you know, it's so wonderful when the Lord joins you with someone who can help you have a different perspective about a situation, who can give encouragement, maybe help take your eyes off of where you are and help you to look up you know, and, and see things in a different perspective. And so the Lord is so gracious in who he joined Moses with. And, you know, sometimes God brings those who have a ministry, so to speak, of, of caring to those who are at the low point in their, in their walk or at that low ebb, you know, and sometimes we feel like we failed and we can't see the victory. So God brings someone into our life to be a little bird or a friend of God, to encourage us, to, to offer comfort and perspective. And we rejoice in God for that. But the, it's also a good picture of who we, who we want to endeavor to be as well. You know, if, uh, you know some people, when, when they see someone who has a problem, it's like their number one goal in life is to, to find an answer for them, to tell them what to do. Right? I think you should do this. And they start kind of throwing out opinions and it's kind of like throwing someone throwing against the wall to see if it sticks. Oh, that didn't work. Try this. Right? <laughs> I'll help you. You know, I, I think it's much better to simply be a friend of God for someone who's going through a situation. You know, someone who maybe has experienced failure. It's a unique ministry to minister to those who maybe are at a low point. They don't need lots of opinions or someone to, to solve their problems. They need a friend of God. Or maybe they need a little bird to just help give them perspective, to minister. Of course, sometimes you can only minister to people when you've gone through this, a similar situation. So just be ready to be prepared for that unique ministry of helping others in the low place. You might have to go through some low places yourself. But you know, David went through that. He was in many low places in the wilderness of Judah. And there were those who took care of him. All throughout when he traveled, God provided people who took care of him. We know that because when, when David got that massive haul from defeating the Amalekites, and he got all the sheep and goats and the flocks. What did he do? He sent big portions off to those who had helped him all throughout his time in the wilderness. He appreciated that because they ministered to him. You know, we think we can see that with Elijah and the widow. God prepared a little widow to help him. Or the ravens. Sometimes it's not even the godly, right? The ravens can speak of ungodly. But it's so wonderful what God does 
when God does that for us, and when God sometimes uses us to minister to others. Now, there's so much more we could bring out about Moses and about his time in the wilderness spanning 40 years. We might look at it more later on because there's, I think there's a lot that went on in his heart of what God was doing and how he was working. But one of the things I think we can understand about this season that Moses went through is it seemed like it was a time of great loneliness, a time when he did not feel connected with his people or with what God was asking him to do. I think he felt very disconnected. You know, like that, that thought of failure. It's like, well, here, I'm, here I am. I'm, I'm disconnected from my calling and what God is calling me to do. And we kind of get an indication from what he named his son. Exodus 2 and verse 22. His wife Zipporah says she bare him a son and he called his name Gershon. For he said, I have been a stranger in a strange land. <laughs> you know, sometimes in the Old Testament, what they named their children was kind of like the story they were telling. I've been a stranger in a strange land. Remember the uh, priest of Eli, one of his daughter-in-law had a, had a son as the, as the ark was taken and, his, and his, her husband was killed. She called her, her son Ichabod. The glory is departing. That was a low point in Israel, right? So they were telling their story. But here's, here's Moses telling his story I just feel so alone. You know, and so Moses, everything familiar had been removed. Everything was strange and unknown. Uh, and so he knew what it was like to be a stranger. And in this instance, he was in a totally different land, probably different foods and language and culture. You know, Israel was a stranger in Egypt. You know, God was... And God was leading them to it. It actually called us a, a new and strange land, a land they didn't know. And he was leading them in a different way. And so he led Moses in that way first. He was the forerunner in that. He had to do something new. You know, and I, I think that experience of, of kind of feeling alone is intrinsically tied to our journey, our spiritual journey. There are times and seasons when we will experience that, that loneliness, so to speak. Now, this is in the natural. We might not be alone, right? Sometimes we're, we can be in the midst of, of people, and, but still feel alone, right? I mean, this is in the natural, especially true for missionaries. You know, we really pray for missionaries because they go out on their own, and they're in a strange land and a strange culture with strange food and and they're doing, they're doing that for the work of the gospel, to receive an inheritance in the nations, All right? And so we, we pray for them, All right? Pastor Bailey even shared many times about, his, about how he went from England to France. I mean, that's like literally, as the crow flies, not that far away. But he said he felt so lonely because, I mean, the culture is quite different from England to France. And of course, the language is different. And even though he had studied French for many years, you know, he studied, he studied more of a, an educational level of French. And then he got, and he couldn't even understand what the little children were saying. 
because it was, you know, country French or, you know, that he just didn't get the lingo and it took him a long time to learn it. And he said he felt so lonely. But yet that was God working. I remember us moving to Florida when the Lord called us to, I mean, here we are, we're in America, but we got sent out. We didn't know a single person. It was a lonely existence for a time until God started trickling people down. You know, we're grateful that we're not alone anymore. But, you know, even when you're in the midst of, of a congregation in a group, it's always amazing how God is able to orchestrate situations and experiences and trials where we can feel very alone. Now, why is that? Because we can try and talk to people about it, and it's like they just can't comprehend. They can't understand. All right? And so because of that, very few understand you know, what we go through. In fact, that's essential. Right? If, if other people really understood, we wouldn't feel alone. And because we feel alone, it, it can move us to say, oh God, meet with me. Oh God, would you be my companion? Would you walk with me? Would you minister to me? And would you be my portion and hopefully my deliverer to bring us out? You know, God wants to bring us to that place where we can't really rely upon other people. But we, we learn to seek Him and to rely upon Him, to receive our comfort and strength from Him. Got a few minutes left. One last quality. It's really closely tied to this thought of, of loneliness, the thought of being alone. It, and it's something that, that the Lord was seeking to develop in Moses. You know, and it's that thought of humility. You know, humility really is speaking of, of having a right perspective about ourselves, right? Not thinking of ourselves too highly, right? Of course, we know pride is the opposite of humility. Pride says we're, we want to be number one, we're the most important, whereas humility is the opposite. It's having a right concept. But, but even more than that, it has to do with how we look to God, right? Because we can't take God out of the equation, otherwise we're just we're nothing, right? That's not what it means. Humility is thinking of ourselves in a right way, but then looking to God as the supplier of all of our needs, as our only source, right? We look to God and we recognize we're totally reliant upon Him. And that's really one of the main purposes of the wilderness and why God leads us through seasons so that there's no other source of life but Him. And we become so dependent and reliant upon His grace and His strength and His encouragement and so that we constantly look for it because it is our source. We don't make it without that. And so as I mentioned, Moses is the forerunner for Israel and God led him through the wilderness. I think it's Israel. God, God led Moses through the wilderness for 40 years so that Israel could be led through the wilderness for 40 years. And one of the main purposes was to develop humility. Deuteronomy 8 and verse 16 says, God who fed you in the wilderness with manna, which your fathers did not know, that he might humble you. And then he might test you to do you good in the end, the whole purpose was to bring a level of humility and reliance upon the Lord. Yes, to test us, 
but to do us good. All right, that was his purpose with Israel. Of course, Israel said, you brought us here to kill us. And I'm sure if the Holy Spirit could speak to him, he said, you're right. But it's to kill that part of you that needs to die and to cause new life to come in, the life of the Spirit of God. And so God will lead us through these seasons to cause us to be dependent upon him as Moses did. So that Moses no longer wanted to even take a step without him. We know the story at the burning bush. He said, Lord, are you sure you want to send me? He wasn't, you know, at the beginning, he was like, Lord, send me, I'm ready. But then when he, when he got to the burning bush, he's like, Lord, I don't, I don't have what it takes. And the Lord has to say, but I do. I'll lead you. But, you know, even, even later on in the journey, there, there's a verse I, I think about often when God asks something of his, of his people. You know, Moses cried this to the Lord in Exodus 33, 15. And Moses said to the Lord, Lord, if your presence does not go with us, do not lead us up. Lord, I don't want to go if you're not going to be with me every step of the way. If you're not leading us, I don't want to go. It, you know, with Moses, it wasn't about position. It wasn't about power or authority. It was just about the Lord being with him that mattered. That's all that mattered to Moses. And that was what worked, what was worked within him. One thing that was worked within him in the wilderness. You know, in our day, God is taking his time preparing, testing hearts. But as he said to Israel, it's for our good, to do us good and to produce those who will walk humbly with their God. Because when you think about the days to come, as we look at the promises of the last days and so forth, we're praying for revival, right? It's going to be a time of great power. It's going to be a time when those who know their God will be strong and do exploits, right? And in a sense, those who know their God, they're going to be revered. People are going to look to them. They might even say, do you have a word for me? Right? They'll be looked up to. And if we're in it for anything other than the Lord, the temptation to receive some of that glory is going to be great, just as it was for Lucifer to receive some of that glory for himself. But what's the antidote? Well, we've looked at it, but I think it's summarized so beautifully in this verse. We'll do this in closing. Isaiah 57 and verse 15 it says, For thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in that high and holy place. But it says, With him who is, has a contrite and humble spirit. To revive the spirit of the humble, to revive the heart of the contrite ones. And so there is our God. He's the high and holy one. He's lifted up. He's in that high place. But who is he dwelling with in the high place? It's those who have allowed him, them, the Lord, to work within them, that humble, that low spirit. Just like Jesus said, I am, come unto me because I am meek and I am lowly of heart and you'll find rest for your souls. And where is that rest? Well, eternally, it's in, the, it's in that high and, and lofty place with God. 
because we've allowed him to work within us and make, make us like him of the humble and the lowly one. And so, you know, our glorious king wants to work with us in us that same spirit that raised Christ from the bed, from the dead, which is a humble spirit. That spirit that simply looks to heaven and is dependent upon the Lord. And it says, the Lord will come and revive the hearts of such a one to walk with him and to dwell with him for all eternity. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the example that we see in the life of Moses. Lord, we pray that you would, Lord, grant us grace to follow you each day. Lord, make us those like Moses who will love your law. Lord, and as David prayed, Lord, would you make us, Lord, one, those who delight to do your will and to please the heart of our Heavenly Father. Oh, Lord, even bring us beyond the word. And Lord, give us a delight to obey your word and to follow you wherever you would lead us. Oh, God, and Lord, just, Lord, work within us. We give you our hearts. Lord, we, we, we recognize you lead us through many seasons and through many valleys. Oh, but God, would you do that precious work? We ask you for that, that beauty of a meek and quiet spirit because, Lord, we want to dwell with you for all eternity and that you would revive us in this day. We ask and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.